Back to the Killer Bees on ESPN 97.5. The show name is a reference to how many great Astros' last name begin with the letter B, who were playing back in the 90s when they were not winning World Series. Bagwell, Biggio, Barry, Bell, and eventually Bergman. You might not remember Barry and Bell, but trust me, you remember Blank and Brenham. Here they are now, live from the Veritex Community Bank Studios. Let's go straight out to the HRP guest line, being joined by the TV voice of the Houston Astros, Todd Callis, Daspit Law Firm, Academy Sports and Outdoors, presenting sponsor of our conversations. Let's start with today's news. TK, thanks for joining us, by the way. Appreciate the time, as always. Uh, Dusty Baker officially announcing his retirement. When you look back at the career of Dusty Baker, what are, what are things that stand out to you? Just that wherever he went, they won. And, you know, whether it was Cincinnati or Chicago or San Francisco or Washington or here, I mean, the teams just kept winning. And he was the only manager to get five teams into the postseason with a division title. Uh, glad that he finally got that World Series championship last year. But uh, he's just a winner. Wherever he's gone, he has one of the things he said in his press conference, he's tried to leave a place better than when he started. And he's pretty much done that wherever he's gone. TK, you look at everything that he was able to do. You look at you know everything that they were able to win, and we talk about the most decorated manager in Astros history, but it seems like from the situation that he inherited and he was coming into to where he walks away from it, and he, he, he did everything and more that could have ever been expected from him. Is that, is that pretty accurate? Yeah, I think you can make the same statement on, on the GMs too, but for those guys, uh, James Click, Dana Brown, Dusty Baker, to come in, uh, behind the situation that happened after 2019, there was really nowhere for them to go but down. I mean, you're coming off of wild success in 17, 18, and 19. 19, obviously disappointing that they didn't win the World Series, but that was probably their best team in this seven-year run. Uh, but coming off of that year, you still had to get the job done. In a pandemic year, a lot of craziness happened. Dusty's such a big people person, he wasn't able to connect with his team and his team's families the way he wanted to, but uh, they were still able to make it to Game 7 of the ALCS that year after a bad regular season. And then, obviously, the last three years, uh, World Series appearance, World Series appearance, and leading 3-2 to two coming back home and just missing on a World Series appearance this year. So, yeah, uh, great success. Everything he's done on the field, uh, he, he's even a better person off the field. Like, his, his ability to connect with people is something I've never seen before. All uh, walks of life, he just is a, a, an incredible conduit. Uh, between any kind of person you'll find on the planet, and, he, and everybody loves the guy. So it's, uh, we'll miss him. I'm sure we'll see him around, whether it's in an Astros role or in a game of baseball somewhere. We'll see him around, and uh, uh, it'll, be, it'll be only smiles whenever we see Dusty down the road. And to that point, TK, I think that was his greatest attribute as, as a manager. And, and you know, for guys like us who are very critical and opinionated, and as we are in the opinion business on Sports Talk Radio, you know, we look at the lineups, we look at the first pitch to the last out, and, and make our critiques and thoughts based on that. But I think that the best thing a manager can do, or where his best attribute can be, is in the clubhouse. And I think that's where Dusty Baker's superpower was: his handling of the clubhouse, getting the most from his players. And it, it seems like there's never been a player that has had a negative thing to say about Dusty Baker. Yeah, Dusty is incredible and loyal to his team, and he always has been. And I know there are, there have been a lot of frustrations in, in how come this guy's not getting more playing time or how come that guy's getting as much playing time as he is. But whether you even go back to last year with Yuli or this year with Jose Abreu or Maldi, he loves his veterans, and he is loyal to a fault with those guys. He is going to go to war with those guys once he has – once you have his trust, he's gonna he's gonna back you up fully. And and 
there's not many managers take it or leave it. I mean, he's going to get criticized for it. He knows he's going to get criticized for it, but there's not many managers that have that loyalty as deep-rooted as Dusty does with some of his guys. And uh, it's one of the reasons why on your talk show or other talk shows people can find fault, but there's also it's also the reason why guys love him so much because once he gets his word, he'll never go back on it. Well, today's the dawn of a new era then, TK, as they start the search and the process. And I'm interested in your thoughts on how this is all going to play out because you would ideally think Dana Brown, look, took the job, knew he already and inherited a manager with the reputation and the, and the, the resume of Dusty Baker. But at a certain point, he was going to pick his guy. But yet when you hear Jim Crane speak, it's going to be a group effort. It's going to be Bagby. It's going to be Crane. And it's going to be Dana. Um, do you think that that's the way it's going to go? And do you think that's going to, that's going to be... Uh, okay with Dana because you would think that Dana at some at some point was going to think with a more analytical guy that he's going to want to hand pick. Yeah, I think that Dana and, and Baggy are fine. When I was leaving the stadium today, I saw them walking out, talking, you know, on their way to the respective vehicles. So uh, they're fine working together. I know Enos Cabell is part of that group too, and uh, Jim Crane's going to be involved. Jim's obviously taking a little more hands-on approach uh, since things went down in 2019. So. Uh, they'll all work together. I don't know if there's going to be a unilateral leader decision made, like Dana Brown's going to say, this is my guy, uh, and try and get the other three guys to agree with him. I think it's going to be uh, some sort of quorum between some of those mentioned, those names I mentioned earlier. So uh, they're all going to have a voice. I don't know if one is more strong than the other, but uh, Dana Brown is certainly going to have his ability to put his fingerprints on who the next manager is. Uh, in conjunction with Jim, in conjunction with Aggie and, and the assistant GMs as well. Todd Callis joining us on the HRP guest line, presented by Academy and the Despot Law Firm. Like, however, you get it done, right? However, you find a good manager, you find a good manager. I, I think that one thing fans fear is like the analytical side. The Golden Era was built was built on the numbers, the analytics. Jeff Luno obviously doing a great job with that. And when you hear a lot of the old school words being thrown around, people fear. I think the fan base fears that they're going away from the analytics. That's not true, right? Astros are still very pro analytics, aren't they? Yeah, I mean, all the assistant GMs underneath Dana are super analytic guys. So, yeah, that's never going to go away. That'll always be a part of the DNA of the Astros because that's how they were built to have this incredible seven-year run. Uh, is it less analytics now than maybe in the Luno era? I would say that you could probably make that case uh, with Dana Brown now. Even James Click, he was uh, more of a lean towards the analytics side. But uh, it's always been a happy blend, right? Like Jeff Luno, uh, as much as he's credited for being a numbers guy, it was also about... Uh, finding the right players at the right time, and, and same with James Click, uh, Dana Brown, the same. So there's a there's a very happy medium somewhere in between being a baseball lifer like Dana Brown is, understanding the numbers and making the two blend themselves so that you find the best possible players. And the Astros have done uh, as good a job as any of the other 29 teams in baseball in the last seven years doing that. TK, as you look at the roster going forward, we know there are five key free agents, and we were talking about this the other day. Very curious your thoughts in terms of who you think will be back and how would you prioritize who they should con- uh, really concentrate on bringing back when you start talking about the three guys in the bullpen being Maton, being Stanek, being Naris, and then looking at Maldi and Brantley. There were rumors that one, if not both, would retire starting with Brantley. But I'm, I'm curious... Who will be back and who they should focus on? And you think what chances will each guy? 
So we'll start with the bullpen. I think, you know, they spent a lot of money last year with Rafael Montero. So that will be somewhat limiting in terms of how much they're going to spend on multiple names of that trio. I think Hector Neris of those three is probably going to command the biggest uh, price just based on what he's done this year and based on what he's done in Philadelphia prior to coming here. Uh, but Maton and Stanek are going to, they're going to get paid as well. They've been guys who have been reliable in the past in, in, you know, arguably one of, if not the best bullpen in baseball the last two or three years. So uh, they're all going to get paid. I would be shocked if, if all three of them came back. I would be surprised if two of them came back. So then you're prioritizing one of those three and trying to fill spaces with the others. If they can find a deal that's a little more team-friendly, maybe two of the three come back. But, um, you know, they're all going to make some money, and at some point um, – it, it, they may price themselves out. In terms of the position players you talked about, uh, Michael Brandley, still we're not sure what's going to happen with him. It was an incredible, incredibly difficult year watching him trying to fight back and, and get back to being able to play late in the season but not being able to play back-to-back games. And uh, I'm just not sure where Michael is right now. I'm sure right now you know, he's giving it some thought about whether he wants to keep grinding and working as hard as he did in 2023 to just play a limited number of baseball games and not really be – uh, himself fully healthy. For Maldi, I would be surprised if he left the game at this point. Uh, I don't know if that's going to be in an Astros uniform next year. I don't know if that's going to be in another uniform next year. I do think, you know, with Dana Brown as the GM, he wants to see Yiner Diaz get some more playing time. So whether Maldi stays here or not, I think there's probably a shifting of the power uh, behind the plate, and you're going to see Yiner uh, start to trend towards being the number one catcher, which he, he wasn't in 2023, obviously. Todd, day after the uh, the season was over, when they lost Game Seven, we we were talking the the next day on on our show. How, how would you define the Astros season? And it's a relative question. I mean, you ask the the players in the clubhouse and watching the post game show, or Alex Bregman saying anything short of a championship is a failure. Or Jeremy Pena, most of the players would have that same thought. Uh, it's hard for me to look at a season as a failure if you're one of the Final Four and you're a game away from reaching the World Series. How would you define the 2023 Astros season? Yeah, I think if you miss the playoffs or even if you snuck in as a wild card and then got bounced in that first round in the best of three, I think that that would have been a disappointing season for the Astros. And I think, you know, I'm not a big labels guy, but if you have to label it a failure, I think they would have looked at 2023 as a failure if one of those two situations happened, especially if they missed the playoffs altogether. And that was a possibility going into the last two days of the season. So for them to make the playoffs, not only make the playoffs, but get that division title the final weekend of the season in phoenix and then get to you know three two up in the alcs playing at home i mean that it's hard to really say that's a failure so it was a disappointment there's no doubt about it they thought that they were going to go to to another world series a third straight uh but like you said anytime you're in the final four and you get to a game seven of the alcs there's 26 other teams that really really wish they could say they did that todd i'm curious if you say what's the first area that they should concentrate on going into next season from a positional group is it the bullpen is it another bat in the outfield when we don't know what Brantley's going to do and we know that it was like a revolving door out there this year with everything where would you say that the focus should be this offseason uh i think those are two good spots to start with i think you've got to figure out your catching situation whether Baldy is coming back and if he's not uh you need another catcher to go along with the diaz whether that's cesar salazar or somebody else they find in free agency, we'll have to, you know, that's to be determined. But yeah, I think 
you know, depending on what happens with the free agents you mentioned, the bullpen certainly an area they can look at, trying to figure out what they want to do in center field and left field, trying to figure out how much they want Jordan Alvarez to play in the outfield as opposed to DH. Uh, all those things will be factors. The infield is the infield. It's not going to change. You're going to see the same four core guys that have been there uh, in 2023 back for 2024. Tucker's obviously going to be in right field. So it's basically figuring out your outfield mix between Chaz and Mauricio and Jake uh, and others who will be in that mix, uh, and, and also figuring out what you want to do behind the plate and then, uh, uh, your bullpen. I think your starting rotation is going to, to work itself out with the guys that are coming back from this past season. Uh, plus you're, you're getting Lance McCullers Jr. back at some point. You're getting Luis Garcia back at some point. So I think the, uh, starting rotation will play itself out. Not that they can't use another arm. There's always that potential to add a, a free agent starter, but, uh, bullpen, Left field, center field, catcher, I think, are your two areas. Well, TK, we've enjoyed the conversations all year long. Enjoyed the ride. I hope you have a really nice off season. until we meet again. Thanks, TK. Yeah, guys, I really appreciate it. I wish uh, I wish we were flying to Philly today and getting ready for game one of the World Series. Excuse me, Arizona. I wish we were getting ready. So I guess we're, I, You're I, in off-season mode flight. already, TK. <laughs> I had to change my flights. I, was, I had flights to Philly, and then if we were playing Arizona, I was staying here. So I had to make sure uh-huh. I canceled my flights to Philly, and I wouldn't have had to cancel my flights to Arizona for a couple more days. Anyway, I wish we were hosting <laughs> Arizona today. And yeah. I wish, or tomorrow, I wish we were getting ready for that, and I wish... Uh, we could have another conversation next week, but it's been fun. Uh, a lot of a lot of great talk during the year, guys, and I look forward to doing it again next season. Likewise, the Thanks, great man. Todd Callis, TV voice of the Houston Astros, joining us on the HRMP guest line. Our conversation presented by Academy and the Daspit Law Firm. What flipped with Fromber last season? He mentioned Todd did the uh, the starting rotation, which Fromber is not going anywhere. Fromber Valdez is very much going to be a part of the Astros rotation next year, and a big part of their rotation next year, and a big part on how good they are next year. There was first half Fromber, which was good. There was second half Fromber, that was bad. What flipped with Fromber Valdez this past uh, this past year? Seven one three seven eight zero three seven seven six. Killer bees. ESPN ninety seven five. ESPN ninety two five. It's time to sit back, relax, and enjoy this next bit of brilliance with Joel and Jeremy live from the Veritex Community Bank Studios. It's the Killer Bees. He's blank. I'm Branham. Thanks to TK. I, I'm actually I'm super bullish on the Astros next year. Now, they have a lot of key moves, like the bullpen. It's a work in progress. Some of the rotation arms. You know, what can you trust of Lance McCullers? When does Luis Garcia come back? Can you get Fromber on the good Fromber side more often than not? Can Christian Javier develop a third pitch so he can pitch off his fastball a little bit more? Can Hunter Brown develop? Like, there's a lot of question marks, but that's for every team going into every season. Uh I was listening to the the Doc Rivers on Dan Patrick the other day, mm-hmm. and he was talking about James Harden and why did it fail with James Harden in Philly, even though he tried to board the, the flight and they said, no, you're not coming, uh, et cetera, et cetera. We know that he's trying to get out of Philadelphia. But Doc Rivers was on Dan Patrick the other day, and he was talking about you know Harden first half of the season. He was buying into the team aspect. He was leading the league in assists. He was moving the ball. He was being a true point guard. He looked like a really good player, and Philadelphia looked dangerous. And in the second half, half started to look for his shot a little bit more stop moving the rock a little bit more and doc rivers you know trying to get the best interest of his team uh trying to get Harden to be more the first half player couldn't do it and i think led to doc being fired led to this animosity between james Harden, philly daryl morey the contracts all of this stuff comes into play but i heard something that doc rivers said to dan patrick 
And I started to wonder, does this relate to Fromber Valdez too? Because look, James Harden, diva, but he's an athlete. And we know that athletes kind of think about themselves sometimes. Not calling Fromber selfish or a diva or anything like that. But here was Doc Rivers uh, talking about Harden that made my mind go here with Fromber Valdez. He really was. I I would say not making the all-star team really bothered him. Um, And I thought that that was egregious, you know, the coaches just didn't put him on. Yeah. So there you go. So he thought that not making the all-star game bothered James Harden, which I don't think is a surprise to any of us in Houston. James Harden didn't get an individual accolade. He pouted. Shocker. Like, we've lived that. You lived that. Uh, you've been around sports forever. You, you're around teams forever. Individuals sometimes think about themselves more than the team, and whenever the, something's taken away from them from an individual point of view – it could impact sure. them. It could impact team. I don't think Fromber's selfish. And the fact, like a pitcher too can be selfish, right? Because it's a pitcher versus a batter. Nothing you're doing is really influencing the team a whole lot. But Fromber Valdez, we know the story. Didn't start the All-Star game. Fromber Valdez wanted to start the All-Star game. Didn't start it. Didn't even go to Seattle to be with the All-Stars. Like, you know what? If I'm not going to start the All-Star game, I'm going home. I'm going to spend time for myself. I'm going to get rested second half, blah, 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 blah. We also know about the whole WBC. Didn't pitch in the WBC because the Astros asked him not to. They, they wanted to limit his workload, which I get from an Astros perspective. But I could also see for Fromber's perspective where, where he wouldn't like that. And if he's going to do that for you in the WBC, well, then take care of him in the All-Star game. Whatever. A long way to say this. Did this did Fromber Valdez have the same impact or not starting the All-Star game as Doc Rivers is claiming it had on James Harden? If you look at Fromber's numbers, first half of the year, he was seven and six with a two fifty one ERA. Second half of the year, he was five and five with a four sixty six ERA. Two full runs higher. He was completely different in the second half than the first half. Do you think that this had something to do with Fromber's poor second half? No question. And I think that it's a bigger picture than this, Jeremy, because you and I have both been around a lot of players during our careers. And the one thing you realize is everybody's wired differently. And some guys are mentally tough, and whether they are solely individual, accolade-focused, and or they can get that happy medium or not, they also can handle when we, you know the old saying and the adage of when the going gets tough. Some guys, when the going gets tough, Mentally, they're just locked in even more. They're hyper-focused. They go, they go through and put blinders on. They do their job, and they actually probably do it better because of the circumstances. Other guys aren't so tough. That's why they say from a coaching perspective, there are guys you got to coddle, and there are guys that you can actually get on and really kind of push. I think there was a lot of things. It, it was one thing to say in Doc's perspective, hey, Harden was upset he didn't make the All-Star team. That's fine and dandy, but that was on a lot of the coaches in the league. That's not on your coach making the only decision. When you talk about Fromber and you talk about it being his coaching staff, talking about it, him being Dusty Baker and his organization, just like the WBC, now it's got a little bit more oomph to it because it's not just that he wanted it and he wasn't getting it, but it was his own organization basically preventing him from doing it and that means that there's more than one switch being flipped that could have a positive impact or in this case it had a very negative impact I think it was all definitely related and I think it was related to the fact that one it was his organization and his coach and his and his uh his the people within his organization I think two he's a very very fragile psyche when it comes to things and the way they go down whether it be on the field or off the field and I think it was the perfect storm to take him spiraling in a negative way. And I think that you can definitely make the correlation. I think, too, that there were two other 
instances that led to this as well. You know, the WBC thing. Okay, look, I'll, I'll help you out. WBC, I understand where you're coming from. You don't want me to throw 20 innings in the you know spring training whenever I need to get ready for the big league season. Okay, I don't love that decision, but I'll, I'll, I'll do it for you. I'll scratch your back. I understand where you're coming from. But if you scratch somebody's back, you expect to you expect to get your back scratched too. And I think that's what kind of led to Fromber's disappointment in the All Star game as well. Was look, I just did you a favor in the WBC. Why aren't you doing me a favor in return? And I think the other hurdle here, he hasn't been taken care of financially in terms right, of a contract right. extension. Where if the Astros gave him a contract extension, yeah, whatever, I won't pitch in the WBC. Oh, you don't want me to pitch in the All Star game? Uh, that's fine, too, because you've already taken care of me. You've already given me a contract. Frommer doesn't have a contract. Does pitching in the All-Star game, starting the All-Star game, like does it drive the price up on Frommer? No, not really, but it does help his his star. It does help his fame. It's the notoriety thing of saying, look, I did what I did last year uh, on this, this streak uh, of all these quality starts, and basically it got lost in the shuffle with a lot of people over the in- entirety of what I did. If I start an all-star game, then that comes back up and resurfaces along with starting the all-star game and being the leading candidate for the Cy Young to where I do get more cred. I do get more shine. I do get more publicity. That's going to help me. And sure, it's also going to help me get to that contract and get to those other things. But Fromber seems to be a guy that also likes and enjoys whether he's a I don't, I'm not saying he's hardened-esque in the way that he goes about his business, but every player naturally wants to be recognized for their accomplishments, and I don't think he felt like he was. And, and to your point, too, where he's kind of, you know, how do we want to describe it? He has a screw loose upstairs, or he needs... He's just hypersensitive. He's a hothead, like, to, to put it... Hypersensitive, like, to, to put it, you know, in, in layman's terms, which is good. Those are the terms I like. I, I love layman's terms. I think it's more difficult for him to recover. Because I remember we were talking about it, the first, like, three starts he had post-All-Star break. We were kind of mocking it. Like, okay, this isn't real. Like, he's not his, – his production's not being influenced by not being the starter in the All-Star game. That's ridiculous. That's silly. There's no way this is true. But then here in Doc Rivers, who was with James Harden, and James Harden was affected by missing the All-Star game, I was like, you know what? Maybe maybe there was more there, and we needed to take that a little bit more seriously than we did. And then for somebody, too, who is a hothead or, or mentally you know, sensitive or whatever, I think it's harder for them to get back on track. Whereas, like, a Roger Clemens. Maybe Roger Clemens would be upset about it, but he's going to channel his emotions where he's mad Fuel. and pitches better yep. or at least gets back on track. Like, Fromber is the guy that everything has to be right for things to go right. It's like a it's like a snowball, right, that's rolling down the hill, and it continues to go well, continues to go well, continues to go well, but the moment that something gets in the way of that, it all unravels for Fromber. And we saw some p- bits and pieces of Fromber. We saw the no-hitter. We saw some games where he pitched well, but I think after that, because it was so hard for him to get back on track, is why we saw bad Fromber Valdez for most of the second half of the season. And it's different in basketball because from Harden's perspective this is also where we heard the narrative of I want to be Batman now not Robin I wanted to be the man instead of being the guy that got Embiid the ball and led the league in assists I needed to go back to doing what I did because with that you naturally in his mind assume I'm going to get the all-star accolades because you can't deny me if I'm scoring at the rate that I used to score and doing the things I used to do you know, it's another discussion of whether he was still capable of doing that and what remains to be seen from a Fromber perspective and a baseball perspective as a starting pitcher perspective it's harder to do that, and there's more of an avenue to where you can be hit more and have less success because now you're going to try and be too fine with your pitches. Now you're going to try and be 
hyper-aggressive, trying to do more when you're out there pitching instead of using the defense behind you, being the guy we knew him to be, and then you leave a couple of pitches over the plate a little bit more often. Or you're trying to get too fine-tuned and too cute with where your placement of your pitches are, and now your 0-2 pitches are suddenly a little bit more hittable. Now you're seeing the ERA go up and the success rate go down. Just a little lack of focus, and the margins are so small with big league hitters, big league pitchers, that if you're just a little bit off, if you're just 5-10% less... That's going to lead to two runs higher second half versus first half. A four zero seven one overly passionate makes him lose his control. Um, I don't disagree with that. His control, he needs fastball low in the zone. Also, I mean, they were talking in his last start, and this is something we commented in the past when Frommer pitches. Like extra velo, extra two three miles per hour for Frommer is, is bad. It's a little flatter. He's not getting that movement, not getting that sink, and he's a ground ball pitcher. Uh, Crankshaft and Hitchcock. So much of Frommer's game is mental. The All Star snub was straw one. Verlander coming back and supplanting him as the number one pitcher, at least with all the media coverage, was straw number two. And Verlander starting over him in the playoffs was the straw that broke the back. I, Maybe, maybe. I, I hope not. I think the contract comes into play. And I think the WBC comes into play too. Uh, Thirty-seven eighty. Fragile Fromber apparently was affected by not being the starter in the All Star game. Yes, he threw a no hitter after that, but for the majority, including the playoffs, he looked mentally affected. Look, Fromber Valdez for eighteen months was the best pitcher in the American League. Like he was unbelievable. He was the betting favorite to win the Cy Young. He was going to start the All Star game. He could. He finished top. Three was it three or four in Cy Young voting last year for eighteen months. Fromber Valdez, you can make a case, was the best pitcher in the American League. Doesn't start the All Star game and then has a four sixty six ERA in the second half. How does that happen? How that's crazy, Look, we, Jeremy. We saw it with all the different times that we talked about how a call that didn't go his way, how a strike zone that wasn't you know giving him the calls that he felt like he deserved could take him completely off kilter could take him completely out of his game, could lose focus and concentration, and then the bottom would fall out of a start that otherwise might have been a good start and another quality effort for him. We know that that's his mental makeup. Good, bad, or indifferent, that's who he is, and he wears it. He wears everything on his sleeve, and he reacts to everything that happens to him throughout the process of a game, of a decision, of a lot of things that go down. And so that's something that just as he had a sports psychologist in the past that's worked with him that he's going to have to work on again and he's going to have to fine-tune and try to reel in because if he does want that big contract, if he does want to continue to be known as and be looked upon as one of the best pitchers in baseball and in his league, these are things he's got to work on. I do think that there is something to be said, too, about all of these guys, but particularly a lot of the key pitchers. Taking on so much, having so many innings, having endured so many high leverage situations that they were all a little worn down. And that doesn't help him because of the other things, the way he handles it, as opposed to, say, a Verlander or a guy who's like a, a you know, a seasoned veteran that's that's just airtight in terms of focus. It, it can have a massive negative approach. I mean, a negative effect. And you hope his approach might be able to change in this offseason when he gets ready for next year. Why did Fromber? have a bad second half. How do we know he didn't have arm fatigue or an injury? How do we know he didn't have a mental breakdown? Uh, doesn't make sense for him to stop focusing and trying to be because he didn't start All-Star game, especially when he doesn't have a contract extension. Right. 
but he's a little bit of a hothead. He got scorned. He was scorned by his team and just didn't pitch well. 713-780-ESPN, HRP listener line. Justin from Beaumont, love you guys. Well, that's not going to land on mean text on Friday. Uh, 713-780-3776. Bad Take Boulevard, who makes the list this week? It's the Killer Bees on ESPN 97.5 and ESPN 92.5. You know, it's a great take every day. Valencia's Tex-Mex Garage. They have the best Tex-Mex in Houston. The best fajitas, enchiladas to die for, and margaritas that hit just right. Happy hours seven days a week. That's my kind of spot. And weekend brunch deals that will blow you away. Also, it's the perfect game day spot. Big screen TVs on the games you want to watch. Does it get better than Tex-Mex, margaritas, and sports? I don't think so. Valencia's Tex-Mex Garage is the place to be and take advantage of their in-house game day jumbo margaritas for only $8 and also $1 off draft beer while the Texans are playing. Or if you want to hang out at the house, order the Valencia's Tex-Mex Garage Fiesta Pack and margaritas to go. Your larger holiday parties are available for booking now as well. You need a spot to host your holiday party, your big company party. Well, Valencia's Tex-Mex Garage is the place to do that. Learn more at TexMexGarage.com. Also, it's not the holidays without the malice. And Valencia's has the best. Half dozen for less than 12 bucks. You have to get your hands on those. Stop by Valencia's Tex-Mex Garage, Houston Garden Oaks, Oak Forest on West 34th Street. They are pet friendly. And visit them online at TexMexGarage.com. Follow them on Instagram and Facebook at Tex-Mex Garage. Valencia's Tex-Mex Garage, Tex-Mex from scratch. So many bad takes on sports. What do you do with all of them? Only there is something in your head to control the things you say. Well, the killer bees use them to build an actual street where they can get run over for all eternity. 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 What's that street? Bad Take Boulevard. All right. Who makes the list this week? Bad Take Boulevard. You've seen some bad takes. You can let us know. 713-780-ESPN. HRP listener line. 713-780-3776. Yesterday, this gentleman won the car wreck of the day, presented by CarWreckTexas.com. Chris Mad Dog Russo. He had a prediction in the NLCS, and he threw some stakes onto his prediction. I've been wrong in Arizona from day one. I, I, a, I'm stunned to beat Milwaukee. I thought they'd get swept by the Dodgers. I never thought they'd even go back to Philly for a game six. Uh, I'll try it one more time. I would not be stunned if they won tonight. I would be floored. floored. And I'll say this right now. Just to, I'll say this right now. And Bob Raceman, write it down. If they win the next two days, they win the next two games and win this series in seven games... If they win, I will I will retire mm. on the spot. Okay. So, Mad Dog Russo, has he retired? No, he's not retired. In fact, he went on Howard Stern and negotiated out of his retirement. He has to, I think, go through, like, maybe Times Square. I don't remember. But he has to wear, like, a Speedo and then hold a sign saying, I'm an idiot or something like oh, that. No. Yeah, so he talked himself out punished? of the retirement. What's that? Why would we I mean, get You don't punished? have to click the link, Blankers. But it's not even that. You know it's going to be more than a link. Everybody's going to be filming that and covering that and talking about that. Why do you have to see it, though? I'm going to do my best, believe me, to avoid <laughs> it. But it, it may be unavoidable when you're no. scrolling on your timeline or whatever and Mad Dog and a Speedo shows up. So you just scroll right by it. Okay. Uh, Mad Dog says he's going to get he's going to retire if Arizona you beats Philly twice in Philly. As we know, Arizona does it. 
Chris Mad Dog Russo, you have made the list. Leading off, you just made the Bad list. Take Boulevard. I do like Mad Dog Russo though. He's been a, been a friend like of the him. show. I like him, and he's been very nice to us. Mel Kiper did this and didn't do what he said he was going to do either when he said, "Oh yeah." This. So it's 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 the precedence is there. That was with Jimmy Clausen. It was Jimmy. Yeah, it was Jimmy Clausen. Yep. Um, couple of guys on other dials. They both played the QB position. Very low S two E. I think for both of these guys. Uh, Rangers, as we know, beat the Astros World Series. The Rangers, off they go. Well, the Baytown Batty and QB1, two very different stations, two very different people. They both said they want the Rangers to win it all. Paul Gallant took him to task on Twitter. I love you, Paul, he says. Gallant says. Uh, yeah, the Baytown Batty, he had this to say. He said, when my squad's eliminated, I fan by two lines of thinking. I pull for the team that knocked my squad out and or I pull for the team from Texas. Call me crazy, but I'm pulling for the Rangers 100% in the World Series. He threw an emoji. He said, who's with me? And he got ratioed to death. <laughs> the other one was uh, Sean Salisbury's show, which I don't think he controls, he said to Pauly. Uh, but congratulations to the Rangers. Bring back the World Series win to Texas. So you have QB1 and you have the Baytown Batty that are openly rooting for the Texas Rangers to win the World Series. And for that, you quarterbacks, you low S2 week quarterbacks, you make the you list. You just made the list. Make the list. I mean, look, so I'll call, you said, call me crazy. You're crazy. Uh, you know, I love Sean, um, but same. I, I just, I can't, I can't ever back and justify rooting for the Texas Rangers, even if they beat the Houston Astros. You know, you pull for the underdog. You'd love to see Arizona just simply because of the fact that the last thing you want to do and have to deal with is arrogant Ranger fans that now have an extra award in their back pocket or more to be able to, to, to dwell on by saying, and we won it all after we beat you. There's no way you root for the Rangers. Yeah, this is a, this is a bad take. Yeah, it's definitely a bad take. I, I, the more I've thought about, the more I think that you know Sean's defense actually on Twitter makes some sense, just knowing Sean as well as I do, because like he would never root for UCLA. Right. Like, Fact. Like, you would never root for UCLA, so why would you root for the Rangers? And I'm like, I don't know, like, what high school rivalry there is in Baytown that, like, would help with Sterner. But, like, mm. it's just like, what are we doing here? Like, you don't root for the Rangers. Like, if you're from Chicago, if you're a Cubs fan, you don't root yeah. for the White Sox. Like, the Longhorns from, root for the Aggies. Yes. The Aggies root for the Longhorns. If you're, in fact, they root the worst things for each exactly. other. It's exactly. weird. Like, if you're a Jets fan, you don't root for the Giants. If you're a Lakers fan, you don't yeah. root for the Clippers. Now, if you're a Clippers fan, you might root for the Lakers. Just like if you're a Rangers fan, because yeah. you're a fake fan, you might root for the Astros. But it doesn't go the other way. No. No. This is this this might make the bad take bracket. Oh, it's, it's all it's it's gonna be on there. It's so yeah. bad. Uh, I deliberated with this one. I really didn't want to give this guy any play, but it was a huge topic of conversation. Dre, a few of our Twitchers, like you got to get him on the list on Thursday. So here was Ben Mahler during the ALCS talking about the Astros. Here's my question, and I want you to think about it. I don't want you to just have a spur of the moment reaction. I want you to think about it seriously. Do you know for sure? The Astros are not using contraband. <laughs> Is that it? Contraband. I don't. I don't really know contraband. Here's here's why I didn't want to play this. The dude's accomplishing what he wants to accomplish. Yep. He's trying to like 
you know, he's trying to pour gas on the fire and get attention. He's also pandering to all of those that don't like the Astros, and the Astros are pretty unlikable. So I really didn't want to give him any run, but I got talked into it from our Twitchers. Um, Joe, you were telling me the only place you can listen to Ben Mahler in Houston is where? The home of the Astros. Oh, there wow. you go. There you go. Because this guy, his his whole he's a shock jock, and what he was Straight trying to do was bait. get attention, and he got attention. I yep. really didn't want to play it, but... I let Dr. Dre have say, which was a huge mistake on my part. Maybe I should make Bad Day Boulevard for listening to Dr. Dre. You guys are good again? Uh, what, what do you mean? You guys were just, I mean, you were I was going never, back and forth for all. He, I was, he, was, he was, I think, a little bit I was, fired I was, up. I was never down on Dre. If Dre lets sports debate affect his feelings, then Dre's a little soft. If you let sports debate affect your feelings, then you're a little soft. Dre, a little soft? Maybe. Oh. Ben Mahler, you make the list. Um... Colin Cowherd's right-hand man is a fellow by the name of Jason McIntyre. I'm not sure who's worse. <laughs> I'm not sure which two peas of these in two a pod. I don't worse. know that many people know who Jason McIntyre is. The uh, he's the right-hand man of right. Colin Cowherd on his TV show. If you don't, because not many people would do it. Uh, like, no, not many people know his name. Right. He's Colin Cowherd's right-hand man more than he's Jason McIntyre. I agree with you. Um, Daniel Jones missed this past week. He was replaced by Tyrod Taylor. How old do you think Tyrod Taylor is? How old do I think Tyrod Taylor yeah. is? 31. Okay, so in his 30s, not in his 20s, per right. se. All right, here was Jason McIntyre after Tyrod Taylor won a, won a football game. Final story, New York Giants. Uh, you nailed this one. Tyrod Taylor. What a performance from uh, the young quarterback. Maybe there's a controversy at quarterback in New York. All right, all right. You were a little off, but at least you were in the right decade. You're in the 30s, not the 20s. 31's not young. Tyrod Taylor's 34 years old. He's 34. Close without going over. The young quarterback? What? I've never called a football player young at the age of 34. In fact, you're old at the age of 34 in the NFL. So, Jason McIntyre, you make the list. You just made the list. Those guys could make the list probably every week. You know, they, I think they, uh, they're they the leaders. They, they, sure. they, they much like Ben Mahler, but uh, I did, tried to do it a little bit slightly more subdued. But those guys are looking for clicks, too. You know, as a matter I mean, of that's fact... That's really what he built his career on. I mean, I used to, I used to produce Jason's show. Really? Ooh. Down the hall. He had a full show? He had a two-hour show he on Sunday capable? mornings. Oh, so only two hours. Okay. When it was Yahoo Sports Radio. Mm. Like he was Well, on, that fits. He was on there on Sunday mornings. I was his producer. How was he? He was this. Like, really? just like his whole career was built on the big lead, the, the website he built. Oh. It's just outlandish, stupid things to... Young quarterback. He's 34 years old. And I think he's also just not intelligent. We're also going to ban Ben Mahler, by the way. Works for me. Ben Mahler has now been Fine. banned by the Killer Bees. I think he's the first person that's ever been banned by our show. Ben not, Mahler. That, not that there were others that deserved it. Oh, plenty but, have deserved yes. it. But Ben Mahler, you're banned from the Killer Bees. That's what Dre wants us to play more, Ben Mahler. What a terrible take, Dre. Dre, you make the list. Uh, Again. Final one. You just made the list. That's, that one's to you, Dre, not Ben Mahler. Uh, Michigan State. Michigan State can't get out of their own way, man. Like, some serious cases at Michigan State over the last few years. You had their coach with Brenda Tracy, which that thing, that whole thing's a mess on both sides. Larry Nasser. Yeah, I didn't, yeah, I didn't want to say it but yeah i mean that that started the whole thing they, they had a professor too that wasn't even a professor like he was faking being a professor and was professing a class do you hear about that one no yeah no, there was, they had a fake professor teaching classes he like lied on his resume lied about his identity he was like the uh was it george o'leary O'Leary. yeah he was like roll tide george o'leary uh that was lying on his resume this guy was lying about being a professor and was still professing a class at michigan state anyways you know how on the scoreboard game days they have different games that you play you know they have the the ball under the helmet they do the thing real fast or they'll have trivia questions michigan state had a trivia question on their scoreboard asking where hitler was born 
What are you doing, Michigan yeah. State? Bad, Read bad, the room. Bad look. Read the room. You can't do that in a public setting. Michigan State cannot get out of their own way. I'm shocked that Michigan State's making the list for the first time because they've had a litany of reasons to be on the list for the history of Bad Take Boulevard. No question about it. Yeah, that's that was just an awful look, and then everybody was trying to deflect it and put blame it on somebody else. Just what are you doing? Yeah, they said it was what just like a uh, trivia like a default YouTube thing. video. Yeah, yeah. That yeah. They found and they just didn't watch it. That's that's poor. It's laziness. Yeah, it's laziness. Like if you're going to be in a stadium of I don't know how many people are going to East Lansing games. Probably not that many anymore. But Especially let's just call it let's call it fifty thousand, which might be conservative. That might be light. If you're going to have stuff on your scoreboard in front of fifty thousand people with sponsors and all this stuff around you, I want to preview. You got to preview it. Yeah. Like that's lazy bones. If you're not like that's that's your job. That's grounds for losing your job. That's bad take. And he did. He did. That guy that did did it, the guy that ran it. Well, he lost his job. So Michigan State, this guy. I don't know. Just how like you, my boy Chad. You just Rockets. made the list. What did he do? When he did thing? the emoji. No. See what, that, no. that one's a little different. No, I'm saying, though. but I'm saying guys that lost their job over that something one, like this. That one wasn't laziness. No, that, that, was, that was just trying to be funny. He got canceled. I don't I don't think he should have been canceled. Like it wasn't I agree. that bad. All right, 713-780-ESPN. Uh, we have a caller on the line about the Astros. We might get to that on the other side. Also, the Rockets game yesterday. Rockets oh. were playing their first game in the NBA. And boy, was it a stinker. Was there cause for concern after just one game? 713-780-3776. Killer Bees, ESPN 97.5, ESPN 92.5. No concern about me and my physical health because I've been working out. Iron 24 Fitness and Recovery helping me out, and I'm loving it. I'm excited because like many of you, I haven't really focused on Branham Bod or your Bod. I haven't focused or prioritized enough on that working out, but that's over. Over, thanks to Iron 24 Fitness and Recovery. It's a new kind of gym that's perfect for me. I think it'd be perfect for you, too. First off, 24-7 access, which is great because, you know, who can work out whenever you want to, right? You, sometimes you got to wake up early. Sometimes you got to do it late. you got a baby at home. It's tough. 24-7 access, which is perfect for our busy schedules. I'm not a big fan on contracts. I don't like these hidden fees. I know you don't either. I don't like dealing with people. I'm not very personable. You might have figured that out. I don't want a gym tour. I don't want a sales call, and I don't want to have to worry about any of this. And I don't don't with Iron 24 Fitness and Recovery. It's 100% digital. Every Iron 24 facility has everything you need from free weights to machines, any cardio that you need. It's perfect. Tons of space, everything you need to get a good workout in without people bothering you. Iron 24 Fitness and Recovery has four locations around Houston. More are coming soon. I go to the one in Conroe. There's a couple in Pearland, one in Lake Jackson. Magnolia and Sugarland are enrolling now, so go ahead and sign up for that. Another great perk is that members get universal 24-7 access to any location. You're down south, well, go to the one in Lake Jackson. You're up north, well, go to the one in Conroe. Whatever you're at, you can stop in at an Iron 24 Fitness and Recovery and get in a lift. For a limited time, participating Iron 24 locations are offering new member ESPN listeners two weeks free with zero down when they join with the Iron 24 app. Go to iron24.com slash ESPN. That's iron24.com slash ESPN and get started with Iron 24 Fitness and Recovery today. Welcome back to the Killer Bees on ESPN 97.5. Killer Bees are also known as Africanized Bees. And we all know there's nothing Africanized about these two guys. It's Joel Blank and Jeremy Branham. 
I might have confused George O'Leary and Mike Price. Roll Tide. Uh, they're two peas in the same pod, as far as I'm concerned. Mm-hmm. He's blank on Branham. 713-780-3776. We'll dive into this Rockets game in a moment. Let's get to some callers first. 713-780-3776. Paul's been hanging out for a long time. Thank you, Paul. Uh, you're in the hive with the bees. What's on your mind, Paul? Hey, fellas. Uh Great show. You guys are the best young radio talk show hosts in all of Houston, I think. Um, all right, Paul, go on. I'd it's a good joke, but you got to finish the call. <laughs> pacing, pacing, Paul. I Come on. finish the call. Looking forward to seeing how Framber does next year with a catcher who actually knows how to call a game because uh, I, I think one of Diaz's strengths was game calling, at least compared to the other catcher on the roster who shall not be named, he probably actually listens to the advanced scouting and the reports and stuff like that and the analytics people. So I anticipate forever having a better year next year. As far as the Astros manager for next year, I, if Craig Council's available, you, you've got to go and get him. He's, he's got to be the top choice. Now, I think we really need to hire, I should say we, I think the Astros need to hire out of the organization. I don't think they're going to do that. I think they're going to hire a yes man which is pretty much what they did with the GM hire. So if, I think getting a manager who will be his own man and stand up to the, the cognoscenti in the front office is something that they really need, and especially an analytically driven guy like Council or Gabe Kapler is another one that I, I think would be fantastic uh, for the Astros. But they, just, they don't need to hire a rookie manager that can be pushed around. They need to get somebody. This team's got a one- to two-year window, maybe just a one-year window, and you got to get a manager who can take advantage of that. Appreciate the Appreciate call, Paul. Look, I don't want Gabe Kapler at all because there's a lot of different skill sets that go with the ideal manager for this situation. And I don't think Gabe Kapler's personality and his dictatorship mentality, and if you hear from, talk to, and, and kind of get the gist of his last two managerial stops, I don't think that's going to sit well and fit well with this organization. So I'm out on him. Uh, I think Council, we've talked about this multiple times, it's just a slam dunk in the fact that he and Stearns have worked together in the past and worked well together. Stearns gets president of baseball operations with the Mets. It's a no-brainer if he leaves Milwaukee, and I, I don't know that that's a done deal but because he's from there and born and raised there. But if Council, you know, the Brewers want him back. But if he does, has greener pastures and his desires to go elsewhere, I don't think there's any question he's going to go with the Mets. Yeah, I think he's already a Met, uh, all but signed, sealed, and delivered. And, and Cohen's going to make sure that he's the highest-paid manager in baseball. I don't think the Astros can compete with that. I, I, I'm not a Gabe Kapler guy either. I think he's failed where he's went, and I've heard awful things about Gabe Kapler. Yep. Uh, so I'm, I'm out on that. I don't necessarily disagree with your point, though, Paul, though, uh, about hiring somebody from the outside. I also agree that they won't do that. I do think you've seen a lot of yes manning going yeah. on since 2019, since the Plus firings the, of Lynch and or Lynch of uh, Luno and Hinch. Plus, the other question, Jeremy, is is who is the yes? Who, who is who are they yesing to? Because part of it too is going to be figure out. Obviously, you're going to yes yeah. Jim Crane, but are you yesing Dana Brown? Are you yesing Jeff Bagwell? Plus, I mean, well, I think I think I think it's the chain of command. I think that Brown yes man's ownership and that whole regime, the whole parliament, whatever, whoever is in charge. And then I think the new guy who's hired as the manager will be yes manning to Dana Brown. So it's all a chain of command. Yeah. It's the, the hierarchy, Dana, and then the new manager. Throw baggy, baggy in the middle of that, too, and then it just it just it gets more convoluted. Yeah, I mean, it does. It, it does. 713-780-3776. Back out to the HRP listener line. Matt, you're in the high. What's up, Matt? 
Yeah, hey guys, how y'all doing? Great. What's up, man? All right. Um, not an Astros fan, not Astros hater, but I just want to know every time we talk about the Astros and we talk about the end of this era or so-called dynasty, oh. they talk about the seven-year run that they've had. Mm-hmm. The seven-year run. Are we celebrating ALCS appearances? Is, is that? I mean, they won two World Series in seven years, Matt. Like, are two World Series titles in seven years not an accomplishment? How many organizations have done that this millennium? Right, but I'm, 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 not, I'm not calling them cheaters or anything, but the 2017 championship does have its, you know, I'm not even going to call it an asterisk, but it, it, it was accusations were made and punishments uh-huh. were handed out, so we'll, we'll leave it at that. Okay. But for the next five years, they tried to prove that they didn't need the – banging on trash cans or whatever you want to call it, and they were unsuccessful for five years. What does unsuccessful mean? Matt, I mean what, what do you mean unsuccessful? They weren't a 100-loss team. They weren't missing the playoffs. They were going to ALCSs and one of the final four teams in baseball every single year. They've been to four World Series, and they've won two titles. Define unsuccessful for me. The Jim Kelly quarterback-led Bills. They went to four consecutive yeah. Super Bowls. I mean, did they win? Were they successful? The Astros didn't lose four straight. The Astros won titles. They've had two parades for winning World Series champions. They went to three of the, three in four years, right? They just lost one of the World Series, then they won two others. I mean, come on, man. If we if we take away the 2017... Well, I don't know why, why are we taking it that? away, Matt? It was okay, still but, yeah. one of the best teams in baseball, whether, they, you know, whether guys were using... You know, cheating methods or not. How do we say that they're the best team in baseball just because they won two World Series? I said it's not, no one it, else did. They, they weren't <laughs> I wanted I wanted that to go on forever because Matt, we were just giving Matt the rope, and Matt was yeah, taking just kept, the rest of it for us. They weren't successful. They've been the most successful team over a seven year period in a college basketball. <laughs> just put it in college basketball perspective: if you made the Final Four every year for seven straight years. Is that successful? Yeah. I would say so. Matt, call back any time because everybody's laughing at you. 713-780-3776. Last night we had the honor of meeting Chef. Chef delivered to us some delicious oxtail. I think this is the same Chef. Chef, it was great meeting you. What's going on? What's going on, fellas, man? How you doing, man? It was great meeting you guys yesterday, man. Absolutely. Um, what's you, what's you on know, your mind? You know me, bro. I wanted to chime in on the rock as I see you guys about to segue into that, man. But, you know... I, I just don't want people to overreact off the first off the first loss. Uh, one thing I thought about last night, after kind of looking at the stats and everything on the on the scoreboard, I would be remiss to think that you know Stone didn't learn anything from Maury, and I would not be surprised if the Rockers is taking a, a, a page out of his book and stockpiling a bunch of young talent. Man, and we may see a big splash coming up soon in the free agency or something like that, man, because. I don't think they brought Udoku to come over here and just not get it done immediately, man. I, they want to see some some things happen fast, and I believe they brought Udoku to come over here and try to coach a solid, really good team to a championship, man, mm-hmm. because you don't want to waste any time with a coach like that. Um, also, man, I mean, we just, <laughs> we're not going to score the ball. I mean, clearly our three-point shooting is not going to be good. We saw that in the preseason. Uh, we're going to have to hang our head on our defense, man. We're just going to have to stop people. These guys are going to have to fly all over the court. I, I truly believe we missed uh, Easton last night. But, uh, man, I, I think there's more to come. 
I don't want people to start overreacting over this, man. I really think the Rockets have a plan, and we may see something happen pretty soon. All right, fellas, take care. Yep. Thanks for the call, Chef. We're gonna we're gonna break yeah. down what we saw from the Rockets game, probably five fifteen. Uh, Lee Sterling's waiting on the, uh, the 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 top of the hour. Going to give some winners. Uh, I, I agree with Chef's point. At one game, you're not going to make this reaction, but I, I do think that with the collection of young players, that they do at some point bundle a couple of them with some contracts and make a move of significance. I agree with that. I don't know if it's this year, but I do think it's coming at some point early in the reign of Ime Adoka. Yeah, I think uh, along with Ime now being the strongest voice in the room, he, he needs to see a little bit more to understand truly what he has and what he needs and what he's dealing with. I'm not going to pass judgment and a strong judgment one way or another on one game. Yeah. But we know that there are some shortcomings early. We also know, to Chef's point about trying to go out to, you're not going to be able to spend money to go out and do that because you just spend a boatload on Van Vliet and Dylan Brooks. So you're going to have to look for different ways to go about what you need to do and what you need on your team, and we'll see how that plays out. We'll talk about it at 515. Rockets getting embarrassed in their season opener yesterday. Uh, Joe, you might want to save that call for Matt, too. All of our listeners that are texting in say that belongs on Bad Take Boulevard, so we might be hearing that in a week as well. Matt's call to the Killer Bees. All right, Lee Sterling's going to call into the Killer Bees here in the next couple of minutes. Lee Sterling, ParamountSports.com, has been killing it in the uh, football season, both college and in the pros. He's going to hand out some winners to all of you when we return. Killer Bees, ESPN 97.5, ESPN 92.5.